Hey, Peter. What's up, Joe? What's going on, man? It's a podcast time. It's time. It's Thursday night. Oh, yeah. We, you know how we celebrate. Oh, yeah. Welcome to V'ger, please, everybody on the wide world of the internet. We appreciate your continued patronage. As noted, I am Joseph. I'm uh, your co-host, Peter. And uh, we are here to talk Star Trek, specifically Star Trek Voyager, specifically uh, an episode, uh, State of Flux. And, uh, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, first, uh, we wanted to give a shout out to our participants in the V'ger Please Trauma Support Group for an excellent week of memes. Some very dank Klingon memes. Yeah, deep into the Gowron memes uh, this week. Gowron being one of my favorite Klingon characters by far. Did you ever play the TNG board game that had like the VHS Company product? Oh my god, I always wanted to, but I you never, never played I never, that thing. I I never got to play it. I know wow. Gowron's a big part of it. Yeah, Gowron's like the main actor in it. Like, uh, that's amazing. I got that. That's probably the coolest board game I think I've ever played. Like, there was multi-layer like cardboard construction tricorders and phasers and you could like plug isolinear chips into the tricorder it was stupid because once you played the game like twice you remembered the timeline that the game moves at uh i would say we should play it but i don't think i own a vcr or have i certainly have access to at my job but uh yeah it's it's weird like that's a whole you can't play that board game now unless you have a vhs it's that's interesting peter i would i would happily troll all of the thrift stores in the greater Cincinnati area to find a VCR to have that experience because you have no idea how much I've wanted to play that game. You know, well, the, you know, the grade school version of me wanted to play that game. Yeah. No, the adult version of me too. Fuck it. I need that experience in my life, Peter. Well, next time I'm up in Cleveland, I'll, uh, I'll check my parents' place and see if it's somewhere. Maybe it's next to my bridge place that, that is still MIA. I'll have to go up in the attic. Oh, God bless you, sir. And then, you know, you can just you can just absolutely dominate me at the game because you'll know how it goes and I won't. So, you know, double double win. All I remember really from the game is something about a Klingon word pooj, which I think means pussy. I don't know. Pussy <laughs> like like, co- like coward or sissy, not, you know, Klingon sex. I'm not one of those people that's read the Klingon translation of of uh, Shakespeare, which is a thing that you can buy. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and suggest that your interpretation of that word may be accurate. One of the conversations on the support group called the Mems Very Dank, and I did a Klingon translator. And apparently uh, the English word dank also translated into Klingon is dank. So it was very forward thinking of the. <laughs> it is. Yeah. That's very forward thinking sure, of the sure Klingon you know, it's not that linguistics. Very intentional. Sure. So, um, Season one, episode 10, State of Flux. We're doing a new thing on the show where Joe and I have uh, agreed to not discuss these episodes at all in advance and make it all on air for some hopefully good radio. Yeah, so I wanted to specifically do this for this episode because, you know, we, we, we chat just like a little bit about it. We kind of get a sense of where we stand on it. We don't discuss it in depth. We always save that for the show. For this one, I didn't want to discuss it at all because I – I will say, Peter, this is the very first episode of Voyager I I watched twice. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not because I loved it. It's not even because I hated it. But it was definitely the one I felt like I had to watch again. I thought this was a solid episode all in. And, and you know, we, we can get into our full feelings towards the end. 
Uh, but no, this I thought this was a, a very strong point for the season so far. I don't know if I'd say I liked it as much as the last episode, but uh, this might be my second or third favorite, I would say, for, for season one. I think this is the episode, um, upon reflection, this is why I watched it twice, that Voyager decided that they didn't want to be a great show and they would be content with being an okay one. I thought that this episode was really good. And then the last eight minutes happened and they stared greatness in the face and said, nah, and I'm looking forward to our discussion on this. We do start with my favorite Star Trek trope. All alien planets look like Southern California Uh, because here we are in some, you know, park in the desert. And, you know, Joe Carey is being a stupid asshole, uh, finding uh, uh, some some convenient looking looking fruit. Uh, but thankfully, Snarf Snarf is there uh, to seemingly indicate that if he were to eat them, he would die from having his dick fall off. Wouldn't you think that like a tricorder could just be like, uh, just flash the poison symbol at this stuff? It's just like a, like a little animation of what would happen to his dick. His dick specifically. This isn't us just being crass. Like Snarf Snarf does like start to point at his, his wiener and Chakotay's got to cut him off. Chakotay also... Uh, Gets to try out some of the local root. And I, I did kind of like that Snarf Snarf was making fun of all of the humans for being soft and not knowing what it's like to, you know, desperately want some food that's edible and provides nutrition on the verge of starvation. <laughs> and then he's he's uh, sort of reveling in making them all feel uncomfortable eating his shitty Talaxian space rat. It's an interesting dichotomy because especially out of the last episode we uh we've got the sicarios or what was sicarians we we went with skeevians skeevians yeah but let's stick with okay well the skeevians sicarians whatever you know you've got uh you've got civilizations that are at if not above federation standards of living um and that's something i've been putting a little bit of thought in and maybe something for us to save a discussion you know, it seems like they're crossing between different faction space pretty fluidly. And I would say all things considered, it looks like the Delta Quadrant, despite at least the area they're in now, the sectors they're in now, despite having a lot of different uh, alien species, they all have relatively small footprints from what we've seen so far. And it looks like they're all pretty peaceful with each other. Um, so the standards of living are certainly have the capacity to be very high. And then you've got, you know, Talaxian hobo antics out of neelix and you know he i think it's clear he's part of the have not uh side of the 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 delta quadrant somewhat disappointing that we're not getting a i guess a more complete look at the political picture and the part of the delta quadrant that they're in they're kind of running into these planets like you're saying and they've got their kind of their own jam going and it's really just the kazon who of course are are the main antagonist of this episode that we understand as a as a real power in the area, that's all right. You know what? They're they're just establishing themselves. I can I can look past that. Sure. Uh, and, and and speaking of you and I's favorite antagonist, the Kmart Klingons, uh, we get a shot up at the at the bridge where where Tom is thinking there's something out there, and he and between he and Tuvok doing a little little uh, techno sleuthing find that there is a ship that's hiding itself, but isn't cloaked. It's somehow evading their sensors, uh, but isn't using a traditional cloaking device. 
and eventually they throw a, a Polaron burst out there and see that it is the silhouette of a space hoopty. There is a there is a 1968 space cutlass out there that is threatening, and it's time to to pull this little scavenge party off uh, off the planet. How do you feel about the Kazon ship design? I mean, considering the Kazon are purposefully being portrayed as being technologically backwards, it's, it's I think, their key trait. Uh, I kind of like that their ships kind of look like junkers. I don't think it really looks junky. I mean, out of all the ships that we've seen in Voyager so far, I'd say that the, these Kazon cruisers that we encounter in this episode are probably the second best ships we've been exposed to other than, you know, Voyager itself. Oh, no, um, no, no, dude. It's Remember the Vidians having like super ships that can go just as fast as the Federation's fastest ship? Well, on paper, they're, they're just as good. But I'm saying visual design wise. Oh, OK. Uh, you know, it looks like that the, the show producers actually put some love and care. Like all the next gen stuff looks so wild and different and good, like from the Warbirds to the Ferengi Marauders and you know, the Cardassian stuff like Voyager, I think hasn't really been putting anything cool out there in, in space with uh, Voyager at the same time. Certainly the, nin- yeah, the Ninja Turtles had boring boxy designs and everything else. You're right. It's um, kind of dis- It's been so forgettable. I haven't even fucking noticed, but you're right. Like they, they could have done so much cool shit with all this design stuff. But I guess when you, if when they're not putting a ton of effort into the costumes, like it shouldn't be surprising to us that they're not putting a lot of effort into the ship designs either. Hell, right. I'll, so, I'll go as far as to say the fucking Kmart Klingons have the most together looking ensembles we've seen at it. Any fucking aliens? I will agree with that. So these uh these Kazon, this Kazon ships in orbit with them, and basically it's hacking Voyager sensors. Like you said, it's not a cloak. It's just exploiting some sort of flaw or vulnerability in uh voyager standard scan pattern that what kind of burst is you whatever whatever the probe that they shoot out and like it backlights them was that like a sensor burst or was that an actual thing that voyager shot out that the kazon should have been like why did they just shoot that into space oh fuck we've been made start you know wrapping this up I mean, it looked like it was an actual thing they shot out there basically a flash of space light to, to see yeah. the silhouette that was hidden to their sensors. It was it was a just a neat little effect that he did. So they backlight him. They're like, oh shit, there's the Kmart Klingons. Uh, you know, let's let's wrap this up. Janeway calls down and tells uh Chakotay to reel it in. They get everybody together and uh right before they beam out, Harry Kim, oh, where's Seska at? And it's like, uh, dude, what do you care about her? Like, uh maybe you got a little Maybe you got a little thing you got for her. Maybe maybe got a little crush action. And uh, off uh, Chakotay goes to try and track her down because rumor had it she went off by some caves. While he's jotting over to those, jogging over to those caves, my wife's sitting next to me and she's like, what is that thing hanging off of the front of him? It looks like, it looks like a dildo. <laughs> I start laughing because <laughs> she doesn't listen to the podcast and she doesn't see my notes and have any way of knowing, you know, that that the phaser placement, especially on Chakotay, like this thing's just hanging off like very a phallic, piece. very phallic. I'm going to get a screenshot and I'm going to cap this thing and throw it up on the Facebook group. A zoom in on that might need to be our new temporary picture. It just looks so bad. She she starts ragging on that in the tricorder. And I'm like, you should really listen to the show because this is like covered ground here. But um, <laughs> it just goes to show off. once again, you married the right woman. Yeah, yeah. 
great minds criticize phasers and like so he goes off to this cave and that was a legit ass cave i thought you notice the water dripping yeah. in the background well i mean they were on location so they they may very well have been in a cave so they're in that whatever park they i mean hell they've been using that park for for exterior shots of alien planets on star trek since the 60s i remember when they used that same park for the fight for the gorn between kirk and and the lizard dude in the rubber suit so that very well may have been in a real cave uh and you know chicote's rooting around trying to find seska and seska you know basically they have that run into each other in the uh, around a corner moment and seska's got this big old bag of mushrooms she's been picking and and says that she was trying to to get those mushrooms to make Chicote's favorite soup, believe it or not. They try to to get out, but they get caught by two Kazon who are in the cave. And uh, actually, one of the Kazons just nails Chicote right in the chest. Uh, but apparently, all it did was make him limp, because uh, they they take the two dudes out, and Seska picks them up, and they just kind of limp out, and they they roll the credits from there. So we uh, we cut back. To Chicote's quarters as he's convalescing from his encounter with a some you know a, a chest bruise from a phaser blast, I guess, mm-hmm. and it, he's he's doing what I could best can describe as stereotypical Indian shit. <laughs> uh, I would call this making a mess. Well, so okay, so listen, there have been a lot of other characters in Star Trek with ethnic backgrounds, like. Picard's French, but in his spare time, he's not, you know, making croissant. You know, Jordy's from Africa. He's not just black. He's from Africa. He's not like carving a mask in his free time. Nobody else with an ethnic background or, or, or national background or cultural background is always constantly doing that background thing. Except for fucking Chakotay, who is always doing stereotypical Indian shit whenever he has spare time. Now you make me want uh, some sort of a long lost episode where Picard's in the holodeck running a program that's just a recreation of the uh, I Love Lucy uh, grape stomping episode. (laughs) And Riker walking in like, what the hell? And he's like, what? This is what we do. Back off. I'm French. <laughs> Back off, dude. Don't let this English accent fool you. I'm French till I die. Yeah, so he's like whittling a stone down and just making a dusty mess all over the place. Seska uh, actually comes in uh, with a big old pot of of something and and opens it up. And sure enough, it's Chicote's favorite mushroom soup. And we get a little scene where clearly uh, Chicote and Seska are very comfortable and familiar with each other on a personal level i put in my she, notes that seska comes in working that ass like she is dripping sexy time i think on in this this little scene here oh yeah um she's definitely being flirty and and being very personal but chicote initially she's he's very open and and laughing he's got a smile on his face he's happy to get the soup it's not like he's resistant he's like oh hey what's up what's going on my dude I mean, he's uh, they they establish just from that interaction that they are not just friendly with each other, but friends, you know, strong camaraderie, strong camaraderie. And obviously, Seska definitely uses uh, some gentle touch later on to uh, demonstrate that it was it had been previously a great deal more than that. Seska goes through and explaining how she got the soup made. 
about how all of the Maquis basically conspired with each other to distract uh, Snarf Snarf long enough so that Seska could sneak in and make the soup. It's probably the most successful terrorist action we've seen the Maquis be responsible for in all of Voyager. It's more of those um, those secret Maquis moves that uh, Chakotay was talking about from Emanations. Oh, shit. I mean, they're not actually good at being good terrorists, but they're super good at, you know... Being pantry mice? (laughs) Tricking a well-meaning alien into uh, not paying attention to his pantry for a while, yeah. If you replace the Federation with the the Royal Arabian Guards from Aladdin, (laughs) they would have been running a real hot game with the upper hand. Uh, There would have been stolen apples and bread all over that kingdom. (laughs) I should have just burst in the song while they were doing it yeah maybe they did maybe that's how they got snarf snarf wrapped up for so long hey, hey wait no siska mentions that they were singing songs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go man. oh the maquis are disney villains okay so <laughs> siska lays down that they stole it and all of a sudden chakotay gets all sour faced he gets all sour pussed and, and it just bothered me it's like dude your friends are terrorists because they worked for you because you too were a terrorist and you're surprised that you know they stole some food that they just got to make you food with like how is this like oh how dare you like dude you're the one who trained them to be terrorists bro you're you you were their terrorist boss like two months ago uh this is the first episode where chakotay hasn't really piss me off or or bum me out at every turn i thought this was a very strong chakotay episode Starting right off from the scene, you start seeing some good, you know, aside from his ill-advised uh, by a by a fraudulent Native American consultant rock carvings, he's got a lot of depth here. And and I think his uh, his sellout moments in this got me thinking about some stuff. If secretly Chakotay is happy that they got whisked away to the Delta Quadrant, if it really does feel good to have that Starfleet uniform on again, if he's eager to get back into the grind and try and force you know, these uh, ne'er-do-wells he was running with before into the straight and narrow lifestyle. Um, so, yeah, he he cracks a whip hard, says, you know, this is bullshit. You guys committed a crime. You stole uh, right on cue. Neelix is calling in, reporting a crime, trying to out the Maquis conspirators as, you know, who raided essentially, a, a, you know, their limited food supply to make... Um, uh you know frivolous uh frivolous meals um yeah comfort food i I can i can respect what you're saying about chakotay by the way like in that i agree that later on in the episode we see a lot of depth from him but the thing i never can get past with his characterization uh, so far in the show is his like amazement that the maquis do things you would expect a bunch of undisciplined former rogues to do i it's it's not that he's trying to change them or it's not that he's you know attempting to make this work or or that there's friction or any of that that would all be what i'd understand to see it's his like personal mystification of like how he he doesn't never seem to understand why they do these things when just a short time ago it was their job to do those things and much worse i think it's because his character flaw as i'm seeing it so far is that he is eternally naive and despite having 
clear answers in front of him. Um, I don't know if we want to call it overly optimistic or just simply naive that uh, he, you know, he's a mark, he's a sucker and he gets taken advantage of. You know what? I, I can go with that. I can go with the fact that he seems naive to the fact that all of his former associates are were are and were real terrorists uh, as part of his his overall character. So most most important part of the episode comes up in this next part where, you know, he admonishes uh, Seska and says that everybody who's been involved in this, including himself, are going to be punished with replicator rations cut for two weeks. Big, big day for uh, my uh, replicator usage tracking uh, obsession. I mean, I can think of no punishment worse than having to only eat Snarf Snarf's food <laughs> for for two days. <laughs> so I mean, it was two days, not two weeks. That's still, oh, was it two days? That's still an eternity. Yeah, it was two days. Hmm. Uh, so at that point, he gets a what uh, call to the bridge for a distress call or something. Well, they do have the moment where Seska gets touchy with Chicote, and he's not like get your hands off me, but he's definitely like. Uh, um, I don't want to do this. And they they set up. They used to bang. That it ended. That they agreed it wouldn't work. It sounded like it sounded like Chicote more sound was more like the one that thinks it wasn't going to work. Seska definitely is still interested. Uh, tries to get him like, hey, rethink this. We're stuck in the Delta Quadrant, but hey, I'll I'll go I'll go shack up with Harry Kim if you're just not interested. Which you know, poor her. You know, she would actually try and pursue that. The, you know, space nerd, virgin nerd. That's when um, the, he gets called to the bridge. And that's where Janeway is, is seeing a uh, distress call coming from some Kmart Klingons. So they fly out there uh, after Neelix specifically advises them that the house or whatever subdivision of uh, Kazan these guys are are the most war the Kazan Nistrum sect is what they're called and he she, he says it's probably a trap but we know what Janeway does when there's a trap not consult anybody else and just shoot from the fucking hip yeah just fly right in fly the ship right into that trap let's go yeah. so they're going in and they beam a uh, a flashlight Scooby squad over to the ship that is in some distress. They got their wrist flashlights out and we see some nasty shit in there. We see some delicious see some- industrial, what, look, <laughs> what I thought were transporter accidents. Uh, I had written in my notes, you know, this ship set looks like trash. And then I immediately scribbled it out and uh, said uh, that this looked fucking cool. You got some full, body fusing into bulkheads you got you know half of people's faces sticking out of the wall feet stuck in the floor like uh this it's gruesome like these people died poorly yeah they died they did they died very poorly they see this carnage they're like what the fuck one of them's still alive so they obviously uh beam him over to uh, uh voyager for medical treatment uh but balana quickly diagnoses that uh, along with Tuvok, that there's a, a piece of technology on their bridge that doesn't belong, and they're reading some Federation residue off of it. And they're protected now from this radiation it's giving off because of a force field, but um, it seems very suspicious to them that there's this explosion on the bridge from this out-of-place tech with 
a Federation chemical signature to the explosion. So they're very interested now in what the fuck happened to these people. Oh, Joe, did you feel that? Uh, I, I did. We must have stumbled into some sort of a temporal shard in subspace because we didn't have our subspace armbands. We've just time traveled uh what two days into the future we we have we we hit a uh, some space turbulence near a space butthole and sadly uh we lost you know part of the the mission log in the turbulence so here we are trapped uh, in the future we're gonna have to come up with some cockamamie scheme to go back in the past and rejoin our former selves maybe if we recover all that lost ground of uh dumped footage we can escape back to our correct timeline you know, uh, all we have to do is come up with like five or six, six interchangeable lines of technobabble dialogue, and I think we're good to go. That's usually what it takes. This seems like a six-line problem. Before we hit the shard, though, I do remember what we were talking about. Uh, we were talking about how they they brought the uh, the one single Kazon survivor they had back to Voyager. You know, he had the med- the metal blood and... The EMH was like, what the fuck is wrong with this dude? What the fuck happened over there? And uh, Chakotay's like, well, actually, uh, it's pretty fucking horrific. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, we had some really cool um, what appeared to me at that time to be some transporter accidents. And uh, that metal in his blood is probably some bulkhead. So it was about this point uh, that I started deciding in my head that this is going to be what I consider to be a good episode. Unfortunately, I already knew what the conclusion of this was going to be and, and kind of where the culprit lines were going to go. But up to this point, you, you know, they're again playing the higher hand of things aren't perfect on the Voyager and there's some fuckery going on. And either you've got other uh, ships leaking fed technology over in the Delta Quadrant or you've got a rat on board. So uh, I think they kind of pick back up the murder mystery who done it. The, the the scene they have in the turbo lift where Tuvok is is running through the options that you just said, like, well, either it's something like Federation technology or isn't, or they interacted with another ship that got brought here by the caretaker, or we got a traitor. Janeway is so super dumb in that scene where she's like, what, what, what? Someone might betray us? She's It seemed mystifying to her that anyone would do dirty. Wouldn't it have to, though, because if she was at all aware of the fact that there was a malcontent portion of the ship, it would require her acknowledging that she has handled a few very key situations less than admirably. I mean, even if she's blind to her own, uh, well, incompetence, quite frankly, she is in the turbo lift as she speaks with someone who just a week ago suborned uh, mutiny on her ship in doing dirty <laughs> to to get them home faster like it, it the very first thing that she should think of is somebody just cold straight cold fucked us over i have a boat full of terrorists yeah. and federation officers who themselves aren't exactly playing by the rules like it's just another one of those janeway moments where i just roll my eyes where she's her character is let down by stupid writing sure uh you know the first time we had this conversation uh, you know, there was a pretty stark disagreement in that, you know, I thought it was good that, you know, they kind of kept you guessing. You felt that it was a very two-dimensional episode because all of the arrows point to the the final culprit. And I've reflected on that a little bit. And I think it's that, again, I'm looking at the show and, and there's parts of me that watch it as a, a TV viewer from 2018 where every other show now 
will paint a very clear picture of what they want you to think. And then at the end, you know, the 11th hour, some guy steps out of the shadows and that's been the, uh, the phantom menace all along. Uh, whereas, you know, unfortunately in this episode and in its day, all that, that breadcrumb trail did in fact lead to the true culprit. And you're right. Of course, uh, that is how I feel. And like you, of course, I, I know, you know, spoiler alert, Seska did it. So it, it eliminates a lot of the drama that maybe you're supposed to feel the first time you see this. But, uh, what the problem for me was less that, you know, the there there wasn't more mystery so much as I think there was an opportunity that everything that they show you in the episode could still be right. Yet. In the end, Seska's not. The, I guess we'll get into that in a little bit. Sure. Uh, but I guess what I'm saying is, takes is this that. episode builds the opportunity for some real consequences and next gen. When Tasha Yar died, it was like unheard of that you could have a main cast member just go down like that in, in a mid-season episode. So having some real stake stuff, someone really crossing that line you can't come back from, in this case, you know, leaking technology and, and lives dying and that kind of stuff. Uh, I can respect that in the writing. And even though Seska at this point a bullshit secondary character. I think that the past few episodes have really amped her and uh, Carrie into viable side players, you know? I don't agree because Seska has a built-in excuse. Like they, they did everything that they could to put, to, to put this on, on a character that is as marginal a player as you could be, not under screen time necessarily, but that she's a Maki terrorist Bajoran who's actually, again, spoiler alert, a fucking Cardassian, right? So it, it, I, the much bolder move would have been to make the traitor carry, but to keep everything else in the episode the same. I mean, I think it would have been awesome if they had got to the end, laid it out. They're like, you're a Cardassian. You fucking were the, the traitor all along. You, you fucked us over. You're it. And, she, and she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, yeah, I am a obsidian order agent. You, you caught me. But I really didn't do any of this. Like everything you saw me do was made you think that I was suspicious because I am marginalized, because I am a terrorist, because, yeah, I am a Cardassian. Uh, you know, I think, so. you know, and eventually I'll put it together that they've all been played and that their prejudices and stereotypes about the fact that she's marginalized is what led them to simply buy into the evidence they were presented. And the real traitor was the the the, the Starfleet officer who clean track record and isn't a villain so much as he just wanted to make sure he got home to his family yeah. and was not was not okay with what Janeway did to strand them and was not okay with with not goosing uh you know some relationships with some technology doesn't matter to them if it made it so that he got home safe and saw his kids again like all of that would have made perfect sense as a Star Trek episode it wouldn't have been like out of character or something crazy or wild yet would have been such a bold move and would have made Seska a better character for the rest of her time on the show because she would have still been involved with Voyager and this shady, you know, spy that could have served as a foil both to Chakotay and Janeway as well as, as the Federation way of doing business yet is still invested in their success. Many, many doors of opportunities could have been open with that. And, and in that choice uh, or that potential i think uh, you and i agree 100 percent. and again to the carry thing the stakes are ultimately pretty low it's not like this is leaked uh 
transporter technology. It's not leaked high-end shielding or phasers. It's it's food, which can tip the balance of power. But ultimately, you could also say, well, hey, it's humanitarian. These are people who you know were were starving of water a few episodes ago. You know, I, I didn't give them the the keys to the kingdom here, but. I mean, I like that the part of the episode I really liked was the fact that a food replicator killed all these people. Like even a, a benign piece of technology, a food replicator, if assembled incorrectly, uh, does some straight, you know, Cronenberg shit to people. Like Puts like, out enough gamma radiation or whatever that it just fuses you to the fucking deck plate. I mean, that's actually cool. I, I thought that was neat, and it explained why giving technology isn't just that they're greedy or it's prime directive. But no, seriously, even stuff that seems harmless can be horribly harmful. We've, um, we've jumped far ahead now, so I, I want to flesh this out real quick. At, at the end of the episode, you kind of find out that, again, it was a replicator that Seska has handed off to the Kmart Klingons. They built it wrong. They didn't follow the IKEA instructions exactly. There was some, uh, like flip- two screws and that shit is going to come <laughs> apart. Sort of, uh, radiation uh, shielding. And yeah, it ends up with people's faces fused to the to the walls. What direction was I going to go with this? Damn it, I just sidetracked myself. That's all right. But, you know, that's it's the great thing about edit tools, Peter. Uh, it's up to me if this uh, brain fart of yours winds up uh, on the Internet. Yeah. Uh, Your face in my hands. Yeah. You know what? I don't know. Where, where are we going from here? Well, let's let's go ahead and just kind of go through the breadcrumb trail of, hey guys, Seska did it. But this is like the constantly the episodes just poking you in the forehead to make sure you're paying attention to the fact that Seska did it. Yeah. So the the next sequence of scenes is that they are coming up with a a strategy to get the the tech that's on the ship that has yet to be identified in the show off of the bridge of the Kazan ship. Seska's got an idea. It's risky. Uh, they decide to go with a less risky plan that Joe Carey throws out there, but it's going to take longer to do. Chakotay pulls Seska off the mission in front of everybody, and she immediately protests and, and says, you're just basically telling everybody I did it. You're pointing the finger at me. The rumors have already started, blah, blah. And uh, uh, Chakotay tries to, to play it off that, listen, I'm trying to put you in a place where you we show we trust you, yet we can still kind of keep an eye on you. You know, I wouldn't assign you to the bridge if I didn't if I didn't trust you a little bit. I also wouldn't be totally cluing you into the fact that you were under investigation if, uh, you know, I didn't have a secret thing for you. Right. Well, not really even secret. I mean, that seems to be pretty openly suggested earlier in the soup scene that they, they effed. They, and they effed with uh, at least some frequency for a while. Not only did they eff, but as we'll later come to find out, he tried to bring her into the cult. He did. He did. Oh, yeah. I, oh, God. And she gets so racist about it, too. Well, let's, no. well wait. Uh, Seska goes to Sekbei and sort of has this moment where she, like, stares at the Kazon that was rescued. And is like, only he can clarify what really happened. And Doctor's like, oh, let you know if she wakes up, I guess. Jesus Christ, creepy lady. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, she's like, oh, gee whiz. I hope, you know, cancer and, and radiation doesn't rot his brain and just completely destroy this dude. And the doctor's like, uh, hey, why you got your fingers crossed? <laughs> and, and then Kess mentions to uh, Seska, oh, by the way, we don't have your blood on file because, you know, you're one of those terrorists that showed up that we don't have medical records for. And uh, she's like, oh, 
oh yeah about that i have like some crazy blood disease and i can't i can't ever give blood and the doctor immediately chimes in well that's a good reason to have it if you had a crazy disease and she immediately just goes oh well i'll come back and uh, get that uh, done later i have to i have to go do anything else and just leaves we've talked Doesn't about take this five seconds we've <laughs> talked about this before that there are incomplete medical records on the ship. Uh, you know, first the doctor didn't know about it. Then he was informed about it once, you know, he encountered Kess's super Saiyanism or whatever. So the doctor doesn't actually have rank. He is still <laughs> a microwave for all intents and purposes. Did you just compare Kess to a Super Saiyan? I mean, isn't that what ultimately ends up happening? <laughs> the sleeper awakens and she, her hair gets more, more Q-tippy and even blonder than she just... I don't know, cuts a world in half and flies off into space. Isn't that how this plays out? <laughs> I guess you're not fucking wrong, dude. Yeah. I just had this, I just had this vision of her just like standing in the in like in the ship, just you know, arms akimbo, yelling. Ah! There's, there's three episodes of that. Fight. That's her training. She's training under high gravity with weights on. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, so the doctor doesn't actually have rank. And I was thinking about this too. Head cannon, AI, doctor, his role in the ship and everything else. Like TNG and, and TOS, you constantly had Bones and uh, Crusher keeping the captain in check because on a Federation vessel, the only person who can shut the captain down is the chief uh, medical officer, right? Yeah, yeah. They play that card a few times. And uh, on Voyager, chief medical officer is dead and you've got a vacuum cleaner kind of standing in the place. So really, there's nothing there to legally check uh, Janeway short of an actual mutiny. You know, I don't recall if there's actually an episode where that gets directly uh, broached, to be honest. That's a good question. He's serving as the chief medical officer. So you would assume that he's already... Uh, well, you know, he already did dress down a lieutenant saying that if he keeps injuring himself doing, you know, whatever futuristic sports ball he was doing on the holodeck, he was going to have uh, words with uh, his supervisor. Yeah, that was just like, I'm going to ratchet out, not directly order. Like, he, again, he doesn't have pips on his uh, on his purple turtleneck. So oh, just something to think about. But anyways, she's like, uh, hey, I got to go uh, wash my hair. She cuts out and uh, leaves Kmart Klingon behind hopefully to die and in the meantime she decides that her best bet to proving uh to herself to everybody is to solo uh the the tech pickup off the kazon bridge it's surrounded by all the radiation and decides to just roll in on a on a unauthorized beam out and uh give her plan a try it does not go well uh her shield fails her and she has to be beamed out because she suffered radiation poisoning I love it, too, because the radiation this, poisoning is just like her cheek is bright red, like radiation just pimp slapped her and sent her on her way. <laughs> it's like she got sunburned. <laughs> That's her radiation poisoning. It's obviously everyone's immediately suspicious that she went over to destroy the evidence before anyone else could find it, which is why she did it. And only Chakotay's like, she was just trying to prove herself. And it's what my, my wife wrote that joke. I, I shared it in our temporal loss. I'm not going to repeat it because upon reflection, I'm pretty sure we would be able to use it anyway. Chakotay's not <laughs> but, thinking clear-headed. Uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, let's, we'll just leave it at that. He's not thinking with his brain, and uh, and that's that's what's up. This is a much more adult version. Did, did, uh, where does the carry scene fit in? 
it's right now. It's the next one. So go ahead and take it. Describe with this this awkward HR. So meeting. Seska ran off solo, and in the point process, I want to point out that she used the transporter to get onto the Kazon ship. Like it sets off alarms, and they're like, "Oh shit, unauthorized transporter use." Goodness gracious! And then they find out it's Seska over there uh, claiming that she's you know doing the job. I would have thought Tuvok, being a smart guy, might have been like, "Oh yeah, you know what? Maybe people using the transporters." Uh, unauthorized is a bad idea. We better lock that out. He doesn't. That'll come back up later. But uh, while Seska's laid up in sickbay with her uh, radiation pimp slap burns, I'm going to say this episode should be called The Queen of Burns because between the the hot, in-your-face slam dunks she lays on some crew members later on the episode, as well as her very uh, literal radiation burns, she's just she's the queen of burns. She'll be the queen of burns in my head. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Seska, Queen mm-hmm. of Burns. Um, maybe she's like a Marvel hero because she's not really too sassy up to this point openly. And maybe this is like her origin story of becoming a, a supervillain whose superpower is sick burns as she had to get burned first. And that's how. Since <laughs> a radiation has caused her a mutation that she is she is a mutant power of sick burns. I mean, that's, that's, that's great. A, that needs to... that's a that's a standard, uh, you know, approved origin story right science experiment i like that i can see that fitting into infinity war like we need you know we need none of our powers will work on thanos we need to call someone in that can destroy his self-esteem we need some and seska queen of birds <laughs> we need some sass um but anyway so she's laid up in sick bay knock the fuck out and uh carrie gets a trip up to the captain's ready room so you got janeway sitting behind the desk he gets sat down, and then you've got Tuvok on the left and Chakotay on the right, and they're standing. And they, like, walk right up on this dude where the crotches of their jumpsuits are about six inches away from Carrie's face. And I think you could just... Every time he every time he turns to the left or the right, he's got a face full of dog. Yeah. Like, absolutely. It's just pick your poison. I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, I get that the... <laughs> The replicator rations are running short here. Hopefully, like, uh, they're not relying on the replicators for soap. Otherwise, this is a very stinky time in Joe Carey's life. <laughs> Man, do you don't think people wash their balls in the 24th century? I wash my balls now. Sure, but if you don't have soap, you know, look, we're, we're dealing with uh, wartime rations here. You know, the luxuries are not you know. abound. Maybe, uh, maybe some of that ginger root that neelix was looking at down on the surface they can also use it as some sort of makeshift pumice stone i don't know at least wash it off and dry it off i mean i mean it's not the best but at least that's better than just letting that ball stank just be right there as you're interrogating one of your junior you know what that might have been part of tuvok's plan like you know he likes these mind games this could be some advanced (laughs) tactical um uh interrogation this is a volk a vulcan mind game is ball stank well they are from a desert planet it's really hot there have the Vulcans weaponized ball stank for their purposes? Is that part of like their – like the Vulcan secret police? That's that's what they use to really make people – In an alternate timeline, I criticize this scene because they start putting the, the spurs to carry and they're like, look, uh, why don't you tell us why all this funny stuff has been going on from your console and there's this whole gingerbread trail of Kazon collusion that seems to be leading to you. Carrie's sweating it hard, and in my mind, 
he's got a lot to be afraid of because not only is there's a stuff going on with the Kazon, but he just finished being part of this conspiracy to steal um, Skevian technology in the last episode that resulted in uh, you know quasi mutiny along with the near warp core breach and could have all sorts of bad stuff. Uh, Balana and um, Tuvok took the fall on that one. You could argue he didn't even let Tuvok stepped in front of the bullet on him, but Carrie has fallen from grace pretty hard at this point. And my my concern here, my argument was, you're in the future. Next gen, Data was good at picking out lies. Jordy was really good because he had the visor. Like, There's some cool Federation tech out there that could be employed for interrogation and questioning. Uh, at the very least, some sort of polygraph lie detector. You've got someone on your ship handing off your cutting-edge technology to the enemy. This is a big deal. They're just relying on the, the the captain looking across the table at them. Maybe they're not busting out the high-tech stuff because Tuvok's using this dirty guerrilla warfare uh, <laughs> ball sack uh, stink torture. <laughs> Nobody can smell Vulcan balls and lie. <laughs> it's a racial ability. He's, he's got a plus five on interrogations. Oh, so man. she's like, uh, it's just, he's, she's like, here, I thought, I thought we were going to go down the road of righteousness of that. Well, you know, Chicote's got all of these, you know, Indian dick drugs he uses for his cult. Yeah. Put your and hand on could his have, vibrator and smell these stone shavings. <laughs> That is, you know, but no, I think the Vulcan ball stank weaponized. Uh, that's that's strong head cannon. I like I like that we've established These damn that. Vulcans. If they're not pinching on the neck, they're putting their balls in your face and making you wig out and tell the truth. <laughs> it's it's got like a hallucinogen effect. It's called <laughs> it's just Vulcan pentanol. You, you you take a face full of it and you're gonna be like you know chasing the dragon yeah. for like two hours. We don't need sodium pentanol. We got Vulcan. Pinthanol? I don't know. <laughs> Someone might need to go back to the drawing board. But anyway, she's like, hey, look, what, what's up here? And he's like, well, uh, why don't you go ask Seska what's up? And he throws her ass right under the fucking uh, bus, you know. Chicote kind of rolls up on him a little closer. And he's like, oh, look, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. It's, it's not me. And she ends up, uh, Janeway ends up confining Carrie to quarters on this one. Yeah, it, it's like a precautionary measure. Uh, but, Lots uh, of screen time for Carrie between this episode and the last episode, and it's interesting too because uh, this is the last time we're going to see Joe Carrie for a very long time. Yeah, they uh, they don't use him again until the seventh. Well, no, once in the fifth season, and then twice in the seventh season. But uh, I don't know why. Uh, but they uh, they only started using him when they wanted to indicate something happened in the past, because he only showed up in season one, and then he shows up again. In the seventh season, just randomly on an episode, and almost they might as well put a neon sign above his head that says, I am here to die. Why have I been reassigned to this red security detail? What's going on? It's like legit. When we watch that episode, you'll see, you'll just roll your eyes like, oh, God, how obvious a hey, it's Joe Carey and he's here to give to give this episode some semblance of stakes. Which would have been great if he had been in the show at all for six years prior to that. Hey, you know, jumping back onto your uh, your writing line, you know what a great reason not to see Joe Carey anymore is? Because his ass has been sitting in the brig for six years. Oh, yeah. That would have been a fucking awesome. Uh, oh, wow. 
Yeah. Our time travel meddling only goes so far. You can't go back and actually change real things. So they wrap up the, the interrogation, send him off confined to quarters. And about that time. That's when uh, when First Mage Kala shows up. So uh, the head, if the Kmart Klingons are the Kmart Klingons, this guy's our, our discount Gowron. He's the persistent antagonistic force for Voyager for the first couple seasons here. And he... Uh, he shows up. He, I actually kind of liked the way that he just presents himself like, I'm the king bitch in the universe. Fuck well, you. Well, that might be because he misread that entire script and thought he was supposed to be introducing himself as Janeway's future love interest. Yeah, that was a pretty funny production note. <laughs> like, I'm not sure what the fuck he read in this that they're supposed to bang, but there's no bang vibe. He he comes to the ship after Janeway invites him, explaining what has happened. And the iron-blooded... Kazon has been cured by the EMH because, of course, the EMH found the solution because he's like 85 doctors in one. He's better than any doctor could possibly ever be. He, he hit his rebirth and boom. Yeah, this guy just popped right back up. And Jane was trying to lay down some charm, trying to, to do some diplomacy. Like, hey, no, we saved this guy's life because we care. Uh, but Cull is just stone cold. He doesn't give a shit. He just wants to take the the broke down ship in the sky and bounce. Jane was like, Nah, because uh, I'm pretty sure you guys stole our shit. And uh, eventually, uh, Kola asks for basically a moment to confer with the recovering uh, uh, Iron Blood guy, along with his subordinate. And Janeway and the doctor kind of go off into the corner and like talk about how, oh, can we say that it's not safe to move them? And, and that while there's two security guards. One of which is Tuvok. And somehow, some way... The Kazon guy is allowed to get this ring out, get a giant needle out of the ring, and jam it into the Iron Blood dude's neck before either security guard pulls a phaser and stuns him. In fact, they don't stun him at all. They just, like, jam him up against the bulkhead, and they don't actually end up shooting him. <laughs> it's it's awfully simple. This guy, he, like, twists the ring like... um. Uh, little Orphan Annie from A Christmas Story, the Dakota Ring. And this this needle comes out, like an inch long like this dude's smooth you can tell this is the guy you got to keep an eye on at a party because he's gonna be dropping pills in people's drink and and causing all sorts of problems Ooh, um yeah. the the, the on what's his name the head guy uh Kala. Kala. Kala knows about this dude and he's like listen we have to go do some real shady shit uh get that asshole from the last party we kicked out he's coming with me even though we've seen tuvok is the fastest phaser draw in the west not good enough here uh Instant toxin, too. This is the best poison in the entire galaxy. I mean, like you said, it touches his neck, and this guy's dead like that. They should have... Uh... Yeah. Do they take his body with them? No, they leave it. They just bounce. They can just kick him off the ship. Hmm. They just leave the body there. Uh, doctors, you know, raised dead is on cooldown. He can't can't do anything, so... Off to the autopsy table. They roll, And uh, before... Uh, Janeway could leave. Doctor and Kess take uh, her into uh, the doctor's office and go and lay down the science that, hey, uh, Seska isn't Bajoran. She's Cardassian. And the next scene is, is Chakotay essentially trying to digest that information. And I think this is where everything with Chakotay takes a solid turn to the positive for the rest of the episode because he is gar- start- he's starting to get fucking salty. He's starting to get real fucking angry over the fact that he had Tuvok as a spy and now Seska was probably a, a, a Cardassian spy on the ship too. 
My favorite scene for this episode and easily the best Chakotay scene in the series so far. And the exact line, you know, when, when Janeway lays it out to um, Tuvok and Chakotay that Seska is actually uh, a plant. Uh, they're in the ready room and uh, Janeway bails. And as, uh, as uh, Chakotay's talking, have we talked before how Chakotay really likes dropping bombs right in doorways? <laughs> Yes, we talked about that in the second episode, that he loves to use dramatic door use, and he does it here again. It's like, there's a thing in Slavic culture about uh, the importance of thresholds and not doing important things around them because it's very bad luck. Chakotay seems to break this uh, rule. Anyways, so they're walking through the door, and uh, Chakotay turns to Tuvok, and he's like, you were working for her, meaning, you know, you were working for Janeway. Uh, Seska was working for the um, the Cardassians. Was anyone that ship working for me? And he he belts this line out hard and fast, and and with a lot of confidence, just fury. And it's uh, I think it really shapes his character up good. Chakotay's flaw, you know, we we've been ragging on him for a while. The flaw I'm getting, the character defining flaw here, is that he's naive. And that, you know, even though he was with a bunch of dirty terrorists or whatever, he went into the Maquis with the best of intentions. And I think he has routinely made the mistake that the other people around him were there for the same reasons, if not better reasons. That's how he continues to be surprised and hoodwinked by uh, by poor behavior out of his former subordinates. I completely agree. I completely agree. And I know we touched on this in our time warp part of this episode as well and haven't had more time to consider this i'm in full agreement with your with your diagnosis that chakotay's problem is that he was an earnest uh you know freedom fighter who was Gave up doing a good starfleet he, career yeah uh, i know there's apparently some some pseudo canon that he might have been ro lauren's teacher at the uh, advanced training that she got really Late, late in TNG, yeah. The only good apple in the bunch that he really has to fall back on at this point is uh, Balana, And we talked about Balana a little earlier. This uh, was not a big episode for her, but I got to say the, the scenes that she did get drawn on for this episode, she's really shaping up into a pretty strong character with, with good motivations at this point, such so as just blind rage. She's breaking a lot of molds in the right way. And uh, I came out with a real good taste in my mouth for both her and Chicote. I I agree definitely on Bolana, and I think later on, I think Chicote started out weak and finished strong. I do want to point out though that we got a lot of ex- we got a lot of um, smoldering uh, catcher uh, gear, Maki security guy in the background, really? your friend from the premiere. Oh yeah, he was all over this one. Umpires in this so, one. Umpires in that one, man. You have to go back and take a look. I, I, it's he's he's in. I think in two scenes as a security guard, but you know, not the only. You know, Bolana's not the only Maquis. You know, we've got we've got smoldering catcher guy. But uh, Again, I agree give me with a couple Bo- episodes. I'll come up with some fucking heinous head cannon for him. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna hate this motherfucker we, by mean, the time I'm done with him. We had ten minutes of Vulcan ball sweat, my friend. I think we, I think we we I know how how dark. Your uh, your headcanon can get how dank, yes. <laughs> but uh, I agree. Bolana, she has this in the next scene when they're talking to Kala. Uh, you know, basically Janeway having a dick measuring contest with him. Uh, she gets to break another one of those uh, tropes of Star Trek of 
of uh, I'm everything happens in linear time, not at the same time. So they have the dick measuring contest while while Balana's like talking about how she's got everything set up to uh, to retrieve the technology. And then after it's over, Janeway's like, all right, I don't want to rush you, uh, Lieutenant, but we need to. And she's like, no, I'm already done. While you were done, well, while you were busy monologuing with the the villain of the week, uh, we went over, grabbed that shit. We're uh, we're already sent it back. We're headed back ourselves. It's all done. We're all done yeah. here. I stuck to the timeline. Yeah, uh, we weren't playing around on that. So, granted, the the Kazon are supposed to be the most credible threat that we've encountered yet, as far as the spacefaring guys, or at least the most credible persistent threat. So, I can understand why they threw a little extra design on that, but it's certainly appreciated. And even if these Kazons are busters, it's it's nice to see other spaceships out there that aren't garbage. Well, I mean, they're space hoopties, but they look like space hoopties. You know, they, they look like they're inefficient, you know, big ships that that aren't technologically advanced. They give you that that feel when you see them on screen. So it's mission accomplished on what these guys are supposed to be. They're not really a threat individually to Voyager. They're a threat if enough of them showed up. And uh, I agree. It's it's good that they put some time into this because, quite frankly, I think the, the big knock on the show has been the very little time they've put into fucking anything when it comes to alien design, ship design, set design. Costuming. Costuming. Like, time and time again, what's the number one thing that we tee off on when we, when we uh, pop open the next episode? These aliens look like shit. Their clothes look like, you know, some dis- – some Clown some, clothes. Yeah, like would would you call uh, the uh, the the Skivian outfit a, a the AVG logo vomited? <laughs> I think I think I might have called. Did you see that? I called, <laughs> I called the guy a, a he looked like a, a blind child molester or something <laughs> like. It's like that's how they would dress. Like the awful, emanations had, awful. And, and you know, let's jump right back to the season or our first episode. Where we talk about this show did not come in on a shoestring budget. This show no. did not come in with people who did not know what Star Trek's level of expectation was or the potential there. You got a bunch of people that it, it feels like it's their first day on the job when it comes to designing these alien elements. And it's a it's a very disappointing for something that should have had polish out of the gate. I mean, dude, the ratings on this show at this time were unbelievable. Do you know how many people watched uh, uh, Caretaker? How many? All right. So let's hold on one second. I'm going to look up Game of Thrones view uh, number of viewers, right? I, I got it. Okay. So 16.5 million people watched, Game the of season, Thrones. watched the season finale of Game of Thrones. Okay. 16.5 million. 26 million people watched the first episode of Star Trek Voyager. 26 million. Okay. So that's, that's, but almost twice as much as many people watch fucking Game of Thrones. Okay, twenty six million, ten billion people watch this episode, dude. If you got ten billion people to watch a television program in twenty eighteen, some network exec is literally going to just come in their pants. Yeah. I mean, it's an unbelievable large amount of people who are watching this show in its first season, and they put no effort and no money into its presentation. This shit looks worse than this shit looks worse than what's on DS9, and that's for syndication. This is on a network. This was the the number one show on a network that Paramount was running. I mean, Jesus. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just I just I had that rant in me. No, well, I'm glad we had a chance to go back to it. And going back to things, that replicator thing I was trying to build up to, uh, the replicator wiping everybody out. 
it made me think when I really started sitting down and pondering it, like uh, Back to the Future, the Mr. Fusion, you got this fusion reactor on the back of a car that could just get rear-ended and blow up, like just dangerous technology lurking <laughs> everywhere. Like you, you lift up these Federation bulkheads and like what kind of warnings are really on this stuff? Like the thing giving you your tea could just as easily be knocking you into a wall and fusing you with it. It, again, that was my favorite part of the show was that that was a hell of a moment for them to, to lay down that this is the the most benign, happy thing that the Federation makes. And it will still fucking kill you if you have an inch too thin radiation barrier on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, very cool. And, and and believe it or not, oh, Peter, I think I see I think I see the the space orifice opening in front of us. I think we can get back to our normal time. Wow. I'm uh, shaking in my chair in, in rhythm with you so they can shake the camera to to make it clear that we're going through turbulence. Oh, oh my god! Oh, oh coming out the other end! Oh. Ah. I think I saw Tom Paris' space probe during our, our transportation. <laughs> it was vibrating at maximum setting. Let me jump over to Team Sesco real quick for a minute. Like, if let's say you could demonstrate real value to allying with the uh, the Kazon, the replicator in the grand scheme of things isn't going to give them a huge tactical edge. It is almost kind of humanitarian, being like, "Hey, by the way, your water problems, we can fix that." And it's it's not the you know again, if you would have given them like transporter technology or better shields or anything else, like that would have been a clear tactical edge. Like she really did pull some hard punches and make some uh, smart choices about what tech exactly she was going to leak. Well, sure. I mean, and this is, again, I think a, a lost opportunity that, you know, she, they didn't explain well enough her motive. If they were going to stick with her being the traitor, they didn't explain her motivations well enough to make them reasonable because she gets all, she gets all sinister and kind of stereotypical in her speech after she lays down some fucking hard truth pipes right at, at Janeway's feet, which I, I figured you appreciated, but sure. Of course, in any case, they, they go through kind of a double blind plan where they are trying to figure out, you know, once and for all conclusively, if it's show carrier, it's Seska that's responsible for this. So, Everything they've seen from Seska and the fact that they found out she's a Cardassian is not enough for them to book her on it. They want to know for sure who did this. So they essentially feed both of them the story of this investigation about how how they've, you know, it's a food replicator. They're just figuring out who gave the, the parts to the, to the Kazon and it blew up in their faces. And once they figured that out, the, the innocent party will clearly be exonerated and the guilty party will be punished with the hope that one of them is going to try and implicate the other in, in course of, of interfering with uh, Tuvok's investigation. Chakotay going to Saskia and being like, Hey, you know, here's our concerns about him. He, he plays, he shows some of his hand to kind of incite her, the, her fucking burn, when she kind of lashes out and like uh, go says, "Oh, you know, go ask your animal guy. This, <laughs> this must be real hard for you. Uh, you know, what's your spirit animal going to say about this? You know, why don't you go fucking cry to him about that? It's just like <laughs> that. That had me laughing hard. I was like, damn, I'm I'm going to be legit sorry that she's gone. Like her cattiness has really come into its own. I'm 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 feeling what she's laying down on this. Uh, she's a grade A hater, I think. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, it's part of the Obsidian Order trading. You know. Yeah. Sick Burns 101, advanced course. 
say she lays down some some grade A racist hatred <laughs> right right at right at Chicote's feet like bam sh- take your fucking Indian cult bullshit get the fuck out my face oh that hurts your feelings why don't you go etch that into a rock with your <laughs> live journal rock when you get out of here <laughs> live journal rock and. But they lay they lay out the plan, and you know Seska's really you know she t- turns the emotion on and and that sort of thing, and and gives a pl- explanation that she, sounds plausible for why she has Cardassian blood. Uh, but as it turns out, it's all part of this plan. And what looks like happening is somebody is implicating Seska in the system, and in probably Chakotay's best moment in the show, he comes up and says. That was exactly the evidence I was expecting you to use to implicate Carrie because you're you're clever and devious and therefore you wouldn't go in and implicate Carrie. You're going to go in and implicate yourself thinking that we would all think that it then must be Carrie who's implicating you. My question on all of this, you know, they get this uh, pretty complex plan to to figure out what's going on here. They, they've shown before, like, the Federation has, you know, security cameras and rooms and stuff. Like, they couldn't just put them both under observation. and to see which one does it? Yeah. Well, that wouldn't provide nearly as much narrative tension, Peter. Come on now. It wouldn't give uh, Tuvok and Chakotay a chance to play 96 games of gin or whatever the hell they needed to. <laughs> you know, they have everyone come in. They explain how they figured Seska's shit out. And she eventually just cops to it all. Says, yeah, she's she's a Cardassian. Um, but she she suggests that she really was in love with Chakotay and in an earlier bit of dialogue suggested that if she is a Cardassian agent, then his secrets wasn't weren't worth the effort like mm-hmm. that. Maybe he she was giving him a pass with the Cardassians because she really did, in fact, have feelings for him, which is another backhanded sick burn. And uh, she she lays at Janeway's feet like I was trying to protect us because we're stuck in the fucking Delta Quadrant because some dumbass because of some dumbass Federation captain that may or may not be in the room that decided to involve themselves in some shit they should not involve themselves in, meaning that we're high and fucking dry. So yeah, I gave the Kazon a fucking food replicator because I would need to make sure that our shit doesn't get all fucked up because of Janeway. If we're going this route is definitely the shit that you would expect someone to say. Yeah, she monologues hard and she hits the 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 fuck you button repeatedly. The the ongoing observation I have on this is Seska real talks with the best of them. Um, She lays down some real hard truths. Uh, Janeway tries to like, you know, shake her head like, oh, you poor wayward soul. But it's like. Seska's talking right to my heart at this point. I knew she would be. Uh, and, you know, lo and behold, even though everybody's got the fucking guns out ready to go, no one's got phasers on her because how could the person who has been running hot game behind your back with software wizardry all episode not possibly have a fucking ace up their sleeve? Right. So wouldn't you know it? She says, you know, execute case orange or whatever, whatever and uh, beams herself over to the Kazon ship. And before uh, Voyager can do anything about that, uh, Tom lets everybody know, oh, by the way, the Kazon's friends are here now and we're going to have a hell of a time fighting three of these dudes. So we should probably bounce. Did she beam off to the ship they saw or was there another ship that was basically doing a Voyager sensor exploit on them? Uh, She 
she uh, beamed over to Decala's ship. Was yeah. was was essentially what the computer said. So that's twice in one episode that Tuvok's been standing there with a phaser on him that he's has been just like the first was the Kazon executing the coma dude. And now right. that like maybe maybe Tuvok should learn a lesson. And when you're going into a hot situation, have that gun ready to go. Yeah, so you just, you know, stun him. <laughs> anyway, uh, episode wraps on a little bit more Chakotay being pissed off at himself mm-hmm. where he's like to Tuvok. I fucking was I was I this stupid, you know, was I was I so naive that I couldn't, un, you know, figure out that you 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 were a traitor and Seska was a traitor. Like, am, am I just that dumb? And Tuvok tries to placate him a little bit, say, like, you're just like any other human. You know, you've you have your weaknesses, but your your attention to detail has always been adequate. Yeah. And but, he yeah, also to that- Tuvok admits he. You know, Seska fooled him too. Yeah, to which uh, you know, Chakotay basically says misery loves company. So I feel a little bit better on that. Yeah, by far the best Chakotay episode that I have seen yet. Uh, solid plot. I, I agree that they could have gone in a lot better directions by 2018 standards. Um, but for what it was, it was good. I think it, had I not known what the conclusion was going to be, I would have gotten a lot more out of it. Super solid acting by the the actress that portrayed Seska. And I, I was legitimately sad to see her go. They, she played such a strong hand through this. Um, and I, I know she'll go on to be somewhat of a reoccurring character, but I think as a Starfleet support, she uh, she could have added a lot more to the show. So it was uh, too bad to see her go. But overall, uh, good. I enjoyed it. I like the whole thing. I just, I couldn't escape this alternate universe where, at the end of the episode. And I agree, Martha Hackett, who's the actress who plays Seska, did a great job. Um, but let me let me paint a picture for you of a version of Voyager where they get to that point and they lay out like you did it, you're a Cardassian, all this other stuff, and she says, Okay, well, yes, I am a card I am an obsidian order agent. Um, that that part's true. But no, seriously, I I didn't do this. I really didn't. And maybe like Kess was like there, like, no, she was laying in bed the whole time. And then they find like some little device on the, the console that they thought she used. That's actually some techno wizardry that, that Carrie whipped up because, you know, he's, he's a, a Starfleet engineer and, and they figure out he did it and he's doing it because he wants to protect the ship so he can get back home safe to his family. And he was the, the, the traitor all along and he was purposely framing Seska. Cause she knew every, he knew that it, Ultimately, everyone would would accept her being the culprit. And at the end, instead, what you have is this shady as hell Obsidian Order agent on Voyager who now is there potentially to kind of do dirty on behalf of Voyager as their sort of Garrick figure. That I mean, that would have added so much to what the show could have been a by shattering your preconceptions that the Starfleet officer could not possibly be responsible for this level of perfidy, which is why the episode was so predictable, but also introducing this volatile new player into the mix where Seska's clearly playing out of a much different playbook than even the Maquis are, let alone the Starfleet people. And Janeway 
sometimes uses that to her advantage and sometimes maybe gets used by it and has to deal with the fact that she's got this this rogue agent on her ship uh, for the rest of the journey. Sure. And maybe that's a part of why uh, Seven of Nine comes along to realize some of that failed potential and having uh, an enemy out in the open part of the team. Yeah, you know, again, it's the same thing we could do with any of these episodes or say, you know, how much better could have been sit there, spitball things and, and, and write a better story than what we actually got. But uh, I have reduced my expectations for where to go with the show. And, and maybe I'm willing to take stuff at a little bit more face value. Yeah, they could have done better. But uh, for for the standalone episode, it was, I think things came out pretty straight, real strong character development on a couple different fronts. And uh, some cool transporter grizzly accident or replicator accidents. So uh, checked all my boxes and uh, good watch. It was it was not bad. Uh, I didn't like it as much as you simply because I couldn't get past what I've explained. But 100% agree that uh, as the episode got on, Chakotay became much better uh, in terms of a character and that he's he, he was just pissed at himself for being an idiot. And allowing himself to be fooled. And you saw that with uh, a level of subtlety in his performance that Robert Beltran hadn't shown before. I thought, you know, Seska was great. And, you know, the little bits that we got to see from from Bellana and, and Janeway and even Kulla, you know, you got a sense of who these people are in these kinds of situations. And it's just a shame they couldn't be more like Ron Moore and what they were doing on DS9 and taking a bold step in a different direction. It's too bad. My regret here is with Seska as far as her future encounters will go is, you know, she's gone full black hat at this point. And I think she's going to be a yeah. much more two dimensional antagonist uh, here for. But we'll see what happens. Where are we uh, where are we going here? What's the next episode? Oh, my friend. Next episode, we got a treat. Next one. I, I, I know we'll enjoy um, all those D&D we made are going to pay off, oh. Peter, because the next the very next episode is is uh, Heroes and Demons. It's also our first doctor-focused episode. Hmm. Well, we'll see how it goes. Uh, before we cut out, jumping over to our rules of acquisition. Sadly, I played uh, the the female dilemma. Trustworthiness. Yeah. yeah. Acquisition card too early here. So uh, I'm going to have to go with rule of acquisition number 21. Never place friendship above profit. Uh, and I think yeah, those are words that Seska will live by. Yeah. <laughs> It's definitely uh, uh, words that Chakotay should have lived by. Uh, but he didn't, and we are perhaps richer or poorer for it. On that note, thank you for listening to Vija, please. I'm Joseph. I'm Peter. Check us out on the Facebook uh, Trauma Support Group. we got some real strong discussions going over there. I'd love to hear what you guys think about uh, some of the topics we're touching on. Absolutely. Please join the group. Please share the podcast. Tell your friends. The more, the merrier. And we appreciate everyone who is. We really do. Uh, we appreciate also seeing some of the new faces we've seen as a consequence. We just want to see more. So spread the word, my friends, and we'll catch like, you. Like Chicote said, mis- misery loves company. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And, you know, uh, we've had a couple good ones in a row. But, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the thresholds are coming. And we'll need your help. See you then.